Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What up, what up, what up? How you day? How you day? Let me tell you about today's episode. It's a great episode and it's all about connecting through differences. More specifically, conflict. How do you deal with people that disagree with you? How do you deal with conflicts when they happen in your workplace? Or in your personal life, what are ways that you can educate yourself and diffuse the situation? Because the fact of the matter is you're not always going to come across people that see the world the way you see the world. And so that being the case with globalization and digitalization, what do you do in those moments? Those are some of the things we dive into with Dave Gerber, who's known as the conflict healer. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the episode and I'm sure you're going to find a lot of things applicable to you in your life. But before we get into that, let's talk about today's sponsor, Plastic. Now, when it comes to business, you're the boss, and it's tough running the day-to-day and making sure that there is enough money to pay the bills. That's where Plastic comes into play. They can help you keep your business cash flow running smoothly. Plastic is a service that makes it possible to pay bills like rent, tuition, and mortgage payments, and even invoices by credit card when you ordinarily wouldn't. Seriously, you can pay virtually any business expense with a credit card from suppliers to employers to your commercial lease. And here's the kicker. You're still earning cash back, points, and rewards every time you use plastic. Once you open a free account, just add a credit card, enter your mortgage or bill details, schedule a payment, and you're done. You're done. Plastic will send a check to your mortgage company or bill servicer and charge the expense to your credit card. Et voila, your rewards are on their way. So if you want to take advantage of this, all you need to do is go to plastic.com forward slash nomads. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q dot com forward slash nomads. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q dot com forward slash nomads. Go to plastic.com forward slash nomads. And when you sign up and make your first payment up to $1,000, Plastic will waive the transaction fee. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q dot com forward slash nomads enjoy the episode in a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors cross-cultural expert tayo roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide each week he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. So today I am talking to the conflict healer himself, Dave Gerber. Dave is the president and founder of Synergy Development and Training LLC. 
He's a change catalyst and he motivates people to become the best versions of themselves. We're going to be talking about what his concept of conflict healing is and how he inspires audiences to transform the way they engage with the world around them. His dynamic and humorous style and remarkable depth and breadth of content has earned him reputation as possibly the best speaker ever. So we'll find out a lot more about why he has this reputation. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you so much. It's, uh, I need to get a copy of that from my dad, you know, so somebody can hear something that good. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, you know, it, your reputation, you know, precedes you, and, and that speaks to the quality of the work you've done. So why don't you, you know, for your dad, why don't you tell us about young Dave and how everything that you did led to where you are today? So you want me to go back from the beginning, huh? Yeah, you know, oftentimes with, with, uh, with leaders like yourself, there's something in our youth or maybe teenage years that really sparked what we do today. So I'm always curious about that. Cool. So maybe I'll just go through in kind of a poppy style and for something you want to slow me down on and ask me about, that's, that's cool too because okay. it's been a crazy winding road. And maybe I'll give you the track and we can back up. But uh, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I have an interesting background just like many people do, like yourself as well. Uh, I was born in D.C., moved away quickly, spent a few years as a young, young child in St. Louis, Missouri, then found myself in Iowa City, Iowa, uh, from age 4 to 12, which sort of, I guess most people would call the formative years of your life. Um, and, and for me, my, my recollection, and I've talked about this with other people, uh, which definitely has some, some big sway in how I got here, was that I remember being bullied. And so I, like a lot of guys, and, and now, unfortunately, a lot of girls, uh, experienced bullying uh, at a significant level, probably from, you know, age 7 through 12, when I, I was extremely happy to have an opportunity to move away. Uh, in hindsight, I was sort of, a, it's a great place to, to grow up, and this has great values, et cetera. Uh, and bullying is an international concept. So that's no surprise. And sort of moved through middle school, moved to, to middle school, got bullied a little bit in middle school, and I uh, was excited to then um, move into college. I was a soccer athlete. I started playing soccer when I was four, uh, played varsity soccer in high school, played a little bit in college, and then got injured. And actually that injury sort of was pretty significant in my life and happened at a time where uh, I was changing, right? So I'm 18, 19 years old. I've been, soccer's been my whole sort of world. And I decide to, uh, to not come back from my injury and to take a different path. And meanwhile, at that same time, even though I had sort of grown up, I would say uh, middle-class, white, you know, conservative, no, but not super right, you know, maybe even a little bit uh, middle um, background. I've now find myself at a upstate New York liberal college, Ithaca College, and my head's kind of spinning. And I end up finding myself in a very in a couple interesting classes. One was called Intro to Mysticism, which definitely changed my whole outlook on life, spirituality, the difference between that and religion. Uh, which I carry with me all the way through what I do today. Another experience that happened concurrently was I found myself co-founding a men's group. And uh, that became a really interesting experience of working with, teaching other uh, students, working with uh, 
administrators. I did a couple conferences on men's issues, rape prevention, sexual assault prevention, which you're going to see ends up as a, you know, later in my life as well. So I, so I start, sorry about that. So I start running through these new programs and uh, finding a totally new version of myself. And, and, and I graduate and, you know, with a sociology degree and I did amazing. And they get said, would you like French fries or onion rings? <laughs> you know, <it> was like, <laughs> right. So I was like, okay, welcome to the world of, of not knowing what you want to do as a highly sort of quote unquote educated 22 year old uh, who just went through school, find myself in the restaurant business, find myself, you know, getting engaged, find myself moving from the upstate New York to the back to the Philadelphia suburbs where I did middle school and high school and closer to my parents. Uh, and I become, you know, sort of shrink time here. I end up deciding that I want to go back and coach soccer and I want to teach high school kids. And that became the platform for my professional jumpstart um, to go back and get a master's from St. Joseph's in education and to find a way somehow to work my way into teaching high school students sociology because what I realized was that's really what kids wanted to talk about. That's what most of us want to talk about. But at the time, psychology was sort of the pop word and people sort of didn't know what they were, kids didn't know the difference. And the other thing was most of those classes weren't even offered in high schools. So it would have to become, and I decided that I would have to become a social studies teacher to then get in and be able to then try and find a way to create an opportunity, which I ended up doing uh, at a high school that I chose a, a high school part-time over full-time because I thought it was a better fit and developed a senior thesis course for students who could put engines on bikes and make canoes and make their own prom dresses and really so saw the capacity of, of, of quote-unquote kids, young adults, and did that and decided that after five years I needed to try and um, do something different. I mean, I had for two years into that teaching experience, I, had, I was teaching teachers, bullying, sexual harassment, classroom management, violence in society. I mean, in 2000, I was playing Eminem lyrics to high school teachers, telling them and teaching them what kids were thinking about so that they could connect better. So I've always been innovative. I've always tried to find the conflict and figure out how to give it back. And after five years of teaching and starting a women's soccer program at the high school and being successful, a boys' soccer coach, I felt like I had two feet in my back and said, go, and you need to go figure out how to do this for yourself. And I jumped off a cliff. I left tenure and moved down to D.C., uh, married a woman, and had a kid, and that's and I'm going to stop talking to check in with you. <laughs> no, th this is why I love doing this, by the way, because it, it, does, it pulls out a lot of those uh, pivotal moments. Let's start with the bullying. We can talk about how that plays an impact into – what you do today, understand, you know, the, the, the things about bullying is, you know, people prey on perceived weakness and, and you know, there's a sense of self-worth that, that's there. And then coming out of that and then tackling, you know, men's issues and everything that comes with that, as well as coaching and then teaching teachers. Your life has always been about taking, you know, maybe negative experiences you've had and turning that into a teaching opportunity. And whenever you've had the opportunity to teach, you, you not only teach the students, you also teach other people to be able to t teach your method. And that type of mindset, something that's unique. 
But it, when you look at the world today and you look at your certain skill set, where previously, maybe before the last five to seven years, it wasn't necessarily seen as a sexy job. How do you feel now where we are at a time where people don't like to listen to each other? This, you know, uh, and people are too quick to point out differences. What is it that you feel when you, you, you turn on the news, you listen to education systems and you look at the world? What do you, what's the first thought that comes to mind and how do you feel like you can go about changing that? Well, one thing is I'm, I'm, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited mm-hmm. because, because I've spent since 2003, 2004, talking about issues around how organizations can standardize conflict management solutions, how we can get to low-hanging fruit, how we can help people create wellness, how we can do what I call the humans factor, which the S is a dollar sign. It's like we're going to do it for the people because it increases wellness, loyalty, retention, and those issues, but it's also the right thing for the bottom line, and we make we save and make more money. Uh, and for me, I've been talking about this, and I've tried to develop my background, and I can come back to that sort of triangle of how I present and sort of show up in the world. But I've tried to have that message, uh, and a couple things have happened. One, when things were good, when, when people are making money, they don't want to solve problems, because, and they also don't feel a sense of urgency. And so that can be one problem. Um, right now, to answer your question specifically, I think, as you noted, we live in a society right now and in a time, particularly with media, where we're seeing conflict all day, every day. You can find it all the time. When you combine that with the fact that like 80% of our thoughts are negative, you know, in our own head, and we get it reinforced, um, we have, a, we have a lot of issues that are going on right now. And finally, I think people, the cup runneth over. I think people are maxing out and they're going, whoa, whoa. Like we need to be talking about this because now we have five, six generations in the workplace and forget about the, just the multi-generational stuff that we need to talk about at some point. But just the fact that people are different from all over the world and a diff- diverse place, it, it, to me, it seems like common sense is going to start to prevail. And that is if we have people from an organization, I don't care if it's five or if it's 50,000, if you have people from all over the world speaking different languages, coming from different cultures, coming from quote unquote complete homes, quote unquote dysfunctional homes, quote unquote, all that stuff. And then you add into it the personal socialization process. How is it possible that we are not going to help everyone with a standardized way of, of dealing with conflict. And, and I think that because people are overloaded, it's going to hopefully become obvious that we need to do that and we need to give people the skills because, unfortunately, it's not being taught in school. So the skeleton that's holding everything together doesn't have the skill sets and all these other factors of diversity that I mentioned Right. They all contribute to it. We're going to max out. And, and, if, and we better do it. We better figure it out soon because and we can talk about this later, too. But, you know, we're preparing for robots, <laughs> you know, robots, digital, everything else that's coming with it is needs to force us to have a sense of urgency around our performance and maximizing it as we compete with ourselves and others for less and less jobs as we move forward. Yeah. No, I, I love First of all, I share your excitement with, with this 
particular thing. I, you know, I always, people in the podcast know I grew up in two military dictatorships and I know exactly what it is to live like in, in similar tense environments. And so when I observe the elements of what's happened in the last few years, I've been excited because I, I do think it's, it sort of gives us this mirror where we look at ourselves and look at the world and we say, we need to work on this. You know, we have digitalization, we have globalization, and we can't keep going about every day thinking that we, if we don't agree with someone, we're just going to avoid them. And so how can we bridge these divides? And so, yes, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's an opportunity uh, of sorts where people can learn and train themselves and whether it's emotional intelligence, how to battle toxic masculinity or work on habits that have been uh, previously, you know, passed off as, as, you know, okay. So staying in that vein, can you share with us some of the best ways we can go from conflict to profit? Like I believe it was on your website and how we can manage, um, you know, conflict in, 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 in the workplace as well as in life. What, what would be your step-by-step method for that? Okay. So in many ways, it's a really big question. So I'm going to try and sort of break it down and see if I can put this in a, a little bit more manageable parts, a couple different things. And then you, if, if you think you have something that you want me to follow up on, I'll do that. Because sure. uh, when we talk about conflict, we really talk, first off, is it personal conflict or is it professional conflict? And people often act very differently with those types of conflicts because, you know, in one conflict, you can get fired, <laughs> right? And if at home, you can get divorced, but it takes a little bit longer and there's more of a process around you know, that kind of conflict. So one thing is people can start to look at how are they handling their personal conflicts as well as their professional conflicts? And is there a way for them to be more consistent, um, still individualized and appropriate, you know, yet more consistent for themselves? So that's the first one. I talk about the facts of conflict, which is an acronym, fear, anger, control, trust. Uh, and synergy. And really, you know, if you think about most people's issues, they come back to fear or anger or control or trust. And so to personally um, step back, be reflective and look at if any one of those are getting in the way of something that you're trying to do. Um, even create, even happiness is not a permanent state, but there's things that can get in, get in the way of it. And some of these acronyms can be quick filters and ways to assess and then come up with, you know, really a solution that's going to be long lasting. Um, it sort of leads to a particular tool and concept that I think a lot of people find helpful. Uh, you know, if they have a pen, they can write it down. It's not that complicated. But basically, Christopher Moore talked about this subject called the sources of conflict. And he said that all conflict falls into five categories. Now, the trap before we start is to diagnose one of your conflicts, personal and professional, and say, oh, well, it has some of each of those. That's not how the tool works. The goal of the tool is to have you determine the primary source of conflict. Because most often when we deal with the primary source, we can get this, you know, solutions that are going to fix it. But if we're dealing with secondary or tertiary sort of sources in this case, we're probably not going to get to the very heart or the core of the matter and be able to solve it. So one of the tools that people love is called the sources of conflict, and there are five sources. And as I share with you, they get more and more difficult to solve 
as you go through them. Is that okay? Can I go through this with you? Yes, please. Okay, cool. So The Sources of Conflict by Christopher Moore. I love it because if you're if you're old enough to remember the overhead projectors with uh, the light that came on and the teacher would put, you know, would write on a special flimsy piece of clear paper and it almost seemed like there was a gerbil running this thing on the inside and the light would show up on the wall. We call those transparencies and became a filter in many ways. So anytime anybody has a conflict, to think about laying down this this sources of conflict filter over top of it and allow them to sort of take sort of two steps back before they move forward. Or as I like to talk about the shock jock delay, right? That five seconds when the people used to swear on the radio and they wanted to, yeah. they wanted to make sure they caught it. So if we can do this, like if we can slow down a little bit, we're going to be way more successful. So the first source of conflict is data or information. Uh, you, you, as you know, and many people, your listeners know, their organizations have an intranet. And one of the reasons they have an intranet is so that they can share mass information. It looks the same. It is the same and can be consumed by a lot of people to help reduce the questions. It's a way to reduce ambiguity. Data conflicts can be, uh, I have the information. You don't. You didn't give me the information. The information was wrong. The information was interpreted differently. Uh, all different kinds. But it's data or information. That's the first one. And what's interesting is uh, most of the time, a lot of times, conflicts are data conflicts that don't get solved and they turn into other more serious conflicts. So to give you an example of a data conflict, uh, Mary and Joe, they have to meet one another. You know, Joe, Mary's got to, like, get a form signed before she's allowed to leave on Friday. And every time she goes, Joe's not there. So after four or five, six times, it becomes very frustrating. And as you can imagine, Mary gets upset at Joe for not being around for her to sign this piece of paper so she can go home. So in many ways, you might have a leader or manager say, hey, if you two are nice people, if you would just sit down, you could talk about it. In fact, no, this is a data conflict. It's really about information. This information needs to be signed. And they, if they just set up a solution ahead of time on Friday, I will be at this space and it was signed, there would never be an interpersonal conflict. So to look at data conflicts and see if they are actually showing up as other kinds of conflicts is really important as we go through the five. So I'll give the rest of them to you. The first was data and uh, the second one is needs and expectations. Needs or expectations, uh, big one. Third one is relationships. The fourth one, often super frustrating for most people, are, is structural because most of the time we didn't create the structure, we didn't create the process, and therefore we're frustrated and uh, there's nothing we can do about it. And the last one, the most critical uh, for many, are, are is values. And so you can ask someone to change their values, but most likely you're just going to ask and they're not going to change. Mm -hmm. And that's also very sensitive, right? Absolutely, yeah. I'm actually going to follow up with you on that, but I want you to go through this because I, my um, opinion, especially my experience, is that values is the has been the biggest source of conflict in today's times, whether it's with the, with politics, with government, and with how people raise their the kids. And what I, when we live in this cross cultural world, what happens is you come across someone that doesn't do something the way you used to, and a lot of people's instinct is to maybe judge or react in a way that's not favorable. And there's a lot of aggressive slash defensive behavior. And in those situations when 
you don't necessarily feel like you can convince the other person to see things the way you do. And if they don't see things the way you do, your mind is automatically saying, well, you're opposite from me. You're attacking me. How does that work? Because on the outset, that sounds like that. Like there is no room for reconciliation. Yeah. But, yeah. But you know, I, I know I, that there is. Yeah, I could definitely share with you. I mean, you've, you've hit it. And so one of the things is if we look at the sources of conflict. The second one was needs or expectations. The expectations come from somewhere, right? So your expectations of, you know, how to shake someone's hand, they come from somewhere. Your expectations of how people should act in a restaurant, they come from somewhere. Right. And so for most of us, it's in our socialization. <clears throat> Pardon me. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to not necessarily jump to the fifth most difficult category right away and call it a values difference. What we need to consider is, is this an expectation difference? Do I have a different expectation about how you load the dishwasher? And if I do, that may be a problem because someone won't want to, you know, you know, stick up and someone to stick down. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a values conflict. Now, we're going to come back to values in a second. This is why it's super important to be able to use this tool to help create distinction around whether or not it is one or the other. It'd be very easy for anybody to sort of take something and have it go from needs, expectations into values. Mm. But we have to slow down a little bit. So the first thing is to look at that needs and expectations. And then the, you know, this is important. I love this quote. We judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their behavior. <laughs> right? That is so true. Oh, my goodness. Judge ourselves. We judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their behavior. Yeah. And so we want everyone to give us the benefit of the doubt. And yet, as soon as something goes against us, we see something we don't like, a behavior, whatever. We assume that they meant to hurt us or we assume or assign intentions. And, and that's, that's partly physiological. I mean, it's not to let everybody off the hook, but we have a lot of things that are going on in our body to fend off the saber-toothed tiger, and there is none anymore. So, you know, in many ways in the workplace, people in general become that saber-toothed tiger and trigger some of those same physiological responses. So that's one of the things, reasons why I think I was put on this planet was to hopefully try and simplify difficult concepts. If we can get people to say, you know what, I'm going to ask a question. Was it your intention to hurt my feelings? Those, most likely, most people are going to say, no, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And then, and then it becomes a discussion that usually gets a solution pretty fast. People build a relationship. It gets even stronger and they move forward. Instead, we go and we get offended and we assume the intentions when it's not for us. And then we build and then we tell ourselves a story, which leads into another great tool, which is this, this ladder of inference. I mean, how, how fast do we see something and assign meaning and then tell ourselves what we're going to do as a solution or react before, you know, a split second? That, that's so amazing. And the, that intention thing is, is so key. So. I do a lot of similar workshops that you do, and I always talk about assuming, assuming positive intention. Now, whenever we, I bring this up, there's always this pushback and, uh, of, well, does that mean you're going to be naive or uh, don't, shouldn't you? Uh, there are people who always have you know, bad intentions. You can't be that you know, ignorant. And you know, I, I always respond with that's not necessarily the case. It's the same sort of thing you're doing. It's more you're, you're actually getting to the root of why that comment was made or something was, or an action was done. 
And if you assume negative um, intention, you're going to already go into that argument with, you know, probably an energy that's not the best. And so it's interesting with that because I, I think there's a lot of training that we have to have mentally for us to get to that point because the natural instinct is to, to, to react negatively. If someone comes at you in a negative way, you want to just attack and defend yourself. Um, and I guess, I guess the, I'm curious on you, to hear your opinion on the best way to train yourself to have that patience and peace of mind to figure out what the root of the intention was as opposed to reacting the way normally you would. Okay, so the first one is one of my favorite acronyms, which is WAIT. Why am I talking? Uh, <laughs> and when we hear something that's negative or hurts our feelings or is wrong or impugns us, we have to ask, why am I talking? Are we talking to defend, defy, argue, problem solve, redirect? You know, it's almost like the, the, the analogy is like biting on your tongue till it bleeds. You got to like hold on. You also have to take a deep breath which can't be understated because it's hard when you hear that. And, and depending on who you are, your programming, the environment you're in can be really intense. Uh, the, but that's going to be required in order for you to sort of be more calculated in your speech, which we don't want to throw something out there in a lot of environments that we can't get back. So it's really tough and it requires a lot of practice and, you know, we have to practice while we're, you know, getting cut off on the road and we're, you know, things aren't going the way we want them to. And those can be good times to practice, you know, our patience and our ability to, to hold our tongue, you know, so that we can, when it comes down to the really critical moments in our life at work and relationships, we can be better at doing that. Another is, you know, realizing, and I think this is a sign of emotional maturity and a path that's never ending for most of us as we self-actualize. And that is coming to the point where we realize we don't have to defend ourselves. And unfortunately, that's become much more difficult in the world that we, where we live in, which has become even more punitive, even through social media or, you know, somebody says the wrong thing, uh, quote unquote, the wrong thing. That can be tough. Uh, I think, separating the feelings from what you're hearing and your own personal issues can also be the toughest. So if you're on a path where you're learning in your life not to be defensive and you get accused of something you didn't do, it's going to really, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. And so that's, those are the things that, that I guess that's the life journey. That's the re the reason why we try and grow because otherwise we sort of just kick the can of pain down the street, you know? And so I thought, you know, and you talked about conflict. It's going to happen in one of two ways. And I, it's either going to come up in your face and hit you there, or you're going to have time to plan for it. And, you know, a lot of the skills we're talking about are what to do, you know, with both. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Uh, the weight, I'm actually going to, I'm going to quote you and put you on, uh, on my Instagram and say that that was a Dave, uh, Gerber quote, but that simple thing, why am I talking is, 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 is a lot of the, the things that we don't do. Cause I'm sure a lot of you listening and you yourself, Dave, you've probably seen arguments from afar. And in, in your mind as the third party, you could see how this could be resolved if someone just waited or if they just stepped out of the content of the conversation to see, hey, you know, you two are saying the same thing. It was just a little misunderstanding. You didn't understand that it's, there's no, you know, but, because they were so eager to get their points across, someone said something 
to attack the person and it, it be moved away from the argument and became something personal. And then it became like, I can't talk to that person. And that becomes tricky when it's your spouse, when it's your child, when it's your coworker and your colleague. And then there's this environment that ultimately affects your productivity and it, this negativity permeates. And then if you go that, you extend that to politics and what happens, you have a whole country with common people, uh, with people that share a nationality. But if you're not willing to find common ground, no policy is going to be passed because one or two people can't get past a statement that was made. And so, so, yeah. so let, me jump, let me jump in here with three thoughts Go ahead. based on yeah. what you just said. One is... And- if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It connects back to something you said about uh, are you being naive or whatever. It's a bridge concept, but that is this concept of good faith. Like, I think we have to believe that, one, if you go into a conflict, people have to be in good faith, you know, to solve that. We have to believe they're in good faith. We don't have to trust everything. But as we move forward in our society right now, I think we have to believe that even if we disagree with someone 100 percent, we we want to believe in good faith that in their heart or in their mind, they're doing it from a place of good faith. Right. So we can sort of hopefully help one another in not only in the micro conflicts of life, but in this larger discussion is give each other a break by believing that people are in good faith. Most people want to do a good job. Most people, you know, want to be helpful. And, of course, we're not going to have that everywhere. It's not utopia. It's not a perfect society. And that leads into this whole thing about, you know, how do we work together when there's these differences? I think two things come to mind for me. The first is we have to start, and, you know, some of the stuff I'm giving you is just stuff I've put together over the years. I can't take weight as my own principle or you know, this next one, which is listening to understand, not listening to problem solve. Right. You know, and listening to understand, not listening to problem solve actually starts with a skill set that is not done. And that's asking good, non judgmental, open ended questions. 
and we've become a very impatient society and also a one that can change the channel when we don't like what we're listening to. But also when we look at the physiological side and the brain and how it's wired, your brain, right, can move five times, uh, sorry, three times faster, probably 1500 words a minute than someone else who's talking at 500 words a minute. So it becomes like Charlie Brown's mom talking, wall, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Because if it's not right on point and it's three times slower than your brain works and you're used to having the ability to change the channel and stuff you don't like and you're not skilled at asking open-ended questions and listening to understand, it's a real challenge. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I couldn't agree with you more. I do a lot of, I actually have this signature speech that I do and I always say, too many people listen to confirm instead of listen to understand, right? And you don't, you don't listen to understand, you don't listen to evaluate, and you don't ask the open-ended questions. If, if you don't ask an open-ended questions, you don't invite the other person to tell you their experience. A lot of times with uh, differences that appear in the, in the workplace or any place, it's, it's assumptions that have been made based on your experience with something. You saw it on TV. Someone else that came from the same background probably did something to you that you attributed negative quality to. But if you sort of learn, if you, if you, if you sort of just group people into one category without individualizing them, it's a very, very tricky uh, bubble to break out of. And I think with what you're saying, the work that you do, you're sort of showing people the best way to understand that each experience is its own experience. And that listening to understand is giving that person a chance to tell you, hey, this is where I'm coming from, instead of you already going in there with your uh, prejudged opinion. Yeah, and the positive caveat is we all need to stop using the word why. Because why, you know, when you back a skunk into a corner, you get sprayed. If you back a human be if you back a human being into a corner, you get sprayed. It's just a different spray, but the bottom line is why based questions are judgment based questions. They 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 ask the person to justify themselves, not explain themselves. And the physiological dynamic that goes along with that is not positive. It doesn't set anybody up for success, including the person who asked the question. So I talk about when you use those uh, open-ended questions, go with what. You can get to the why. Just go with what, how, who, who was there. You know, get curious. And when we get curious, people actually want to share. They will get to the point and better and you'll be able to then get information you need to move forward and <clears throat> clearly as you you know referenced before with all the differences we have to have some ground rules and some civility and some drawing the line of what's going to be acceptable i mean you know gandhi talked about like many you know this non non um violent protest you know when somebody walks in with a baseball bat you know, your concern is not their message. Your concern is the baseball bat. So if that doesn't, that means your message gets lost. And so we have to figure out a way where we're going to go back to having rules of discussion and how we're going to talk and, and how not to make everything personal. Because it's, it's making everything personal is like me going on the Beltway in D.C., getting cut off and thinking that person said, you know what, Dave Gerber, you know, I meant to do that to you. It's kind of like we take everything personally, and it's not necessarily meant to be personal. Yeah. No. Well, then I, I got the scenario for you. You're a leader, and maybe you said something that was perceived as insensitive by a lot of people. 
that that work for you. Now, mm-hmm. the the scenario is you don't think you said anything sens- anything insensitive at all. You think, as a matter of fact, people are just uh, taking it personal, like you said. Mm-hmm. How do you get past that? Where it's you're the leader, and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong, but your company has taken on this toxic culture where it, it's almost like now they've lost respect for you and they don't want to believe you. How do you get past that? Because there are multiple levels to deal with there when someone doesn't respect you as a leader and because of um, the perceived impropriety, the rumors spread about you. How, how do you re- resolve that? All right. So that's a huge question with a whole bunch of different parts with respect to how I plan for it, who I talk to, how many people I talk to, what the method is. Uh, there's a lot of, I'm going to give you an answer. I'm not dodging you. No, I no, no. Think- I, 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 trust me. I know yeah. why I asked that question because yeah. that, that's a real life. That's what happens all the times where people feel like there's no point. And okay. And, so yeah. here's, here's, so I'm going to give you an answer, but I'm going to preface it with your listeners that someone's, they're not, someone's not going to like it or I'm going to leave something out, you know, because it's right. imp- this is, this is the kind of serious situation that if, if I was a leader executive or a leader, in, in an internal company and I was faced with this issue, there would be a lot of planning that would have to go forth based upon the way you described it, including my access to HR, my access to legal, my access to uh, other parts of the system that are there to help employees at whatever level they are to make sure that they do better or do, you know, or rectify a situation, whether we think, whether I think I'm wrong or I'm, I'm not. Uh, and I think this is a, I think your question is a, in many ways is a fair question because it's the reality of what we're facing right now, unfortunately. Um, and, and that's very sad. I mean, we were impugning people entire, you know, career based upon one or two things that said, and, and depending on the case, maybe that's worthwhile. I don't know, but to go with your very general question, the first thing I would have to do is I would, a lot of it would depend on what was said. But I know that it would, I would move into my planning phase, and um, and some of these would be overlapping in time. If it was a, if it was about somebody, then I would obviously need to have a one-on-one conversation with that somebody, and I would, I would need to share my uh, my apology in whatever form that apology needed to be created and, and shared based upon what the situation was. I think this goes back to I probably would share my uh, intentions versus behavior, you know, and I think that's a huge one, uh, whether it's a one-on-one conversation or the group is addressed uh, as a whole is being able to share and not in this order, but being able to share intentions behind whatever was said, uh, as well as understanding that. And I call it the one person rule. So if you think it's you're going to offend more than one person, we really shouldn't be talking about it at work. But I mean, I would share that uh, that concept. I mean, most of this stuff would start off with this a really, you know, hopefully a powerful and genuine, real disarming statement. You know, with something like, you know, how I know how important it is for you to ha- believe in your leader and for your leader to have integrity and character and respect and. You know, I think I have those and I want to continue to, to demonstrate that. And hopefully after we discuss this, people will realize that that's the kind of leader that I am. And uh, that would probably be probably an opening statement for me. And I would have to also, you know, check my ego. And that's tough for people to do. But I mean, sometimes 
you know, we have this other concept, which is this coding and decoding, right? You know, so we're, we're saying things in our version of the English language in this case, and it's being decoded by 25, 50, 5,000, 5 million in their own version. So I would probably talk about that. And I think in summary, to circle back, I think a lot of it would be around intention, and I think a lot of it would be around some of it would be reminder in my integrity and my career and what I've tried to do and how my resume speaks to it and to be given the benefit of the doubt. And at the same time, to be able to be humble enough to apologize as needed to people uh, in a way with language that met their needs. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And <laughs> you know, I, I know I'm, I'm giving you a lot of, uh, of you know, scenarios that uh you know, that, that are general, but I, I want the audience to be able to take, I want several people listening to the audience and this podcast to be able to say, okay, I got that from Dave. I got that from Dave because conflict appears in, in, you know, in many, many scenarios. And since we both work with workplaces and scenarios where, you know, let's face it, the last elections have brought up a lot of inner tensions and, mm-hmm. and there are many people that take a lot of, of, of comments to, to, to heart. And so, um, and me being one of them, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not, I'm innocent of this. I, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've had a lot of things where people might have said something about my identity and I, I have to initially check my ego to understand the intention as opposed to react. But that also leads to this quote unquote concept of I've noticed I watch a lot of news and I watch a lot of international relations. People have this idea of, oh, you're being politically correct. There's no free speech. Uh, you're being a snowflake. Or you're being, you know, backwards. See, all those things does that that creates this internal conflict now where you're like, I don't want to offend someone, but I'm this way. And I've often talked to people where, to me, it's easier to to say, hey, look, just just don't say things that are just insensitive. You know, it's very easy for me to say that. But when I've engaged in conversations with people that have made comments uh, in the past that they could get away with. Their immediate response is, why are you being so sensitive? It's not a big deal. It's just a joke. Oh, come on. What is this PC? I can't say this now. And, you know, so how do you deal with that? Well, this is a really tough issue. Uh, it's a, it's, it's not a good issue. Uh, when I was doing my work as a college student back in 1990, I, we did a little bit of stuff on diversity and it was interesting because um, I'll give you an example. We were talking. It was one thing was that I don't have a problem talking about tough subjects because I think people know that I have positive intentions and love and want to help people, and that if I say something that by mistake, that I have no problem owning my stuff. We were talking to a, a group, a, a mixed group of people of different kinds and different backgrounds, and it was interesting where one person said, "I want to be referred to as African American." And one person sitting next to her said, well, I want to be referred to as black. And back in the 90s, we were dealing more with more white black issues. And we were like we are now 30, you know, 25 years later, where we're dealing with lots of different background. But it, it, it sort of showed me that we, we 30 years ago, we already had a, a society where we're individuals. And everybody comes from a different background. And people, just because you take a white guy from Maine and a white guy from Mississippi, they're not going to necessarily agree or get along or whatever. And so what I realized is 
what's happened is we've become so much more of a me, me, me society. Everyone gets a trophy. Everyone has to be heard. Everyone is empowered with, with, in many ways, not a lot of bookends that it's become very difficult for people to not get offended. There's, I mean, somebody on TV was talking about the other day. It was like, if you say something in a group of two, you know, someone could get offended. What happens when you get to a group of a thousand? How are you, how is it possible to pretty much say anything anymore if you're in a group of 5,000 or 5 million or wherever where people aren't going to get offended? So we have to, I think, and maybe today's not the day to talk about it, but we have to sort of look at this concept of what it means to be offended, what makes me offended, what about my background or values, what about, what about, what someone else does now becomes an excuse for me to do worse or wrong. So it becomes more about our own character and how we're going to show up. And this is tough stuff because these are emotional issues. You know, the things that are talked about is not just emotional is, you know, the, the emotional core of our brain is the same part as our long-term memory. So when we hear things, it sends us back and we're, you know, we're pulling back really powerful experiences. And, and that's topped off with what you said. We, we've lost the level of sort of civility and just basic respect, and there are no rules. So, like, what's the rule for how far you should be uh, from someone while making a FaceTime or a Skype call when you're at a bar or in a restaurant? Or we sort of let go mores and standards, and no one really knows, so everyone just says, well, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I see they're doing what they want to do, so I'm going to do that too. And pretty soon, inconveniences become problems, sensitivities become greater, and we're focusing on a negative energy instead of all the things that are positive that we have to offer in this great country and solutions and people who can help us from outside this country. Yeah. I mean, we have so much going for us. We have, we're focusing on diversity instead of similarity. You know, we have a ton of, a ton of like DNA overlap with like the cockroach. You know, ah, no, no. So that's, that's interesting. So, so you don't. I don't know. I don't know if I I can agree with it. So, do do you agree? You're saying that the focus on diversity is not something that should be done. Are you, do you mean focus? No, on- no, no. I don't mean that. What I mean is that in the discussion of mm-hmm. like diversity program, you know, the value of mentioning similarity ah. is is also super super important. Right, you know, right, right. we you know, we have we do have some common values. We do have some. We all bleed red. We all <laughs> or, we all love love our. Most of us love our children. You know, we want to <laughs> see. Like, there's some really common similarities, and yes. and I think what happens is, in my approach, you know, as a white Jewish male, is to say, hey, look, let's also talk about all the things we have in common, and then that makes it easier for us to talk about what's different. Yeah, no, I agree. Common, common values for sure. No, I mean, first of all, you, you, that was, you, know, you gave a great answer with that because the reason why I'm excited about this is that I, I really feel like a lot of the way we've communicated for centuries it has not necessarily been the best way. You know, there's a lot of... Um, want to say my way is better than your way type of things. And, and that goes, it goes through, you know, the patriarchy, sexism, all the isms. And that type of thinking creates weird systems that there are sort of inside and outside dynamics. And what's happening right now is I think people are, 
are being forced to face the consequences of those type of thinking because now we have digital media. Now you can tweet. Now you can say something. And now somebody can say, no, that's not, that's not how I want to feel. And a lot of people haven't been trained to, to deal with that type of response. Oh, so you don't agree with me? What do I do now? And I think it's a learning opportunity. I honestly do uh, for everyone. And, and, and I think as we get better with that, we'll have much more, um, a much more easier, easier time raising leaders, but also having inclusive leaders. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, sure. No, this is, I, I, see, I, see, I see why people hire you. This, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, for as, <laughs> as we wrap up, I want to I sort of briefly talk about toxic masculinity. And I know you said you, 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 know, you started a men's group. What do you, what do you feel uh, right now with the Me Too movement and toxic masculinity and people talking about well, what's an alpha male or beta male or what we should do as men or, you know, quote unquote, um, you know, shivery and on things like that. I'm just curious about your thoughts with that. Ooh, lots of landmines in there. Yeah, but I feel like you're capable. Here's, you're capable. You're not going to get affected. No, no, no. It's cool. I don't really want to talk about the Me Too movement per se. I want to. I'd like to talk about actually a new set of distinctions that I have given labels to sure. around this discussion, um, both from the male and the female side. So. We hear about this concept of, and distinctions are everything, right? I mean, we we really have to look at how things are dissimilar in a way that allows us to better understand both of them, okay? So we talk about the alpha male or the beta male. Well, I'm going to add one to that. I'm going to call it the alpha ogre male. Mm. So I think that's really important because... When you have alpha ogre male, alpha male, and quote-unquote beta male, it means that actually the beta male and the alpha male are probably a lot closer in agreement than anyone with the alpha ogre male. I mean, the knuckle-dragging, the, the, the chauvinist, the, the behaviors that when we associate hyper-masculinity, if you've called it, that's the alpha ogre male. The alpha male is not necessarily the alpha ogre male. Uh, I would characterize myself as an alpha male. I'm an alpha male with communication, collaboration, skills, uh, high levels. Uh, I'm a renaissance guy. You know, I'm a leader, you know, but I'm not an alpha ogre male. I don't I don't mistreat women. I don't I don't get violent and don't get drunk and don't get all these things that people are sort of calling alpha male. That's not alpha male. So I think that's a really important distinction to make in this subject. And I think that if we look at from the female side, it's the same thing. There's the alpha ogre female, there's the alpha female, and there's the beta female. And and I think that's a better way to think about these in a sense of, understanding the positives, understanding the negatives, understanding compatibility, which is one of the things that I talk about as well, uh, because conflict is huge. But I think that this concept of that, and I'm curious what you think, it's the first time I've really talked about it on air with anybody, but I think the alpha ogre concept, both the male and the female right now 
are are not are not showing up well. And unfortunately, the alpha ogre female population, because of some of the things we've talked about, because of I guess I'd call it dysfunction in the name of equality. Um, you know, the behaviors that women have complained about men for 3,000 years are now, they're, they're higher on the list, you know. And whether it's alcohol, drinking, burping, farting, watching pornography, promiscuity, I'm not judging those things. I'm just saying those are the things that weren't available in society, which are now being um, done in a way that is having similar results to the alpha ogre male um, in their terms of their health, you know, alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, um, depression. So I think that there's, it's a really interesting concept and set of concepts around this. And I think that this ogre concept can maybe have people step back and realize that the people that were pointing fingers aren't ogres. Hmm. That is, that is very, very, I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Wow. Okay. I mean, what do you think? Does it make sense? I mean, in the sense that, you know, you think of the men in your life, I, you know, that you've grown up with, you probably know some strong men yeah. who, who can communicate and maybe artists or, you know, athletes or, uh, and they don't beat their wives and they, and they respect women and they, and they're take, they take charge and, you know, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know people like that. So we don't want to not call them alpha if they are not alpha, but we don't need to put them in a category that is in a category for people who show up behaving badly as a regular course of their character or personality, right? You know, it, it's it's so interesting. So I, I'm the oldest of three. Uh, three, you know, we grew. I grew up the oldest of three boys. I. I grew up in, in Nigeria. I grew up in Sweden, Vietnam, Burkina Faso here. And my, for much of my life, a lot of times, people, you know, sometimes would joke and say, hey, you, you, you have some feminine, you know, behaviors because you like watching, uh, you know, chick flicks as much as you like sports. And I, I've been the guy that's done both, right? I play sports. I love this. And so even a lot of my, my girlfriends and, and, or female friends would be like, yeah, you know, we get you because you, you understand this. And sometimes my male friends initially growing up didn't understand that. And it was only as I started to really become comfortable with myself and understand that I didn't, there wasn't one way to be a man that I became more comfortable with that. And so a lot of times when I hear alpha, beta, I almost think that that has this binary way of grouping men where it, it you know, it, it leads me to, to the, me talking about how much I hate the phrase be a man because I think being a man is something that anyone can be in terms of there doesn't have, there's no necessarily one path to being a man is what I'm trying to say. No, and, and I agree. and those distinctions around masculinity are really important. It's the stuff that I started with when I started, you know, co-founded the men's group was to talk about different ways to be a man. I think the distinction for me around this, after lots of years of experience and thinking about it, is more in terms of an energetic which is based around probably procreation and compatibility. And so it's almost like alpha male is like the umbrella mm. and all these other things are like the spokes because not all alpha males are the same. And, all, not that, and, and also, it's to your point, it doesn't mean that 
an alpha male doesn't do something that might be considered now or once throughout time as feminine, right? I mean, if you're a if you're an alpha male and you're a, a highly skilled communicator, well, then they used to associate communication with being female. No, so absolutely, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, but I yeah. think that, that there still is, and and this show is not about like relationship, heterosexual <laughs> compatibility, getting married, that kind right, of thing. Right. I still think that there is there socio sociologists that use categories to help try and e- explain behavior or patterns without being locked into like a stereotype, right? So yeah. I think that when we talk about trying to simplify language, it it does get very difficult when we know that masculinity, just like femininity, has an infinite ray of of spokes so so to speak of of differences i think that when people are looking to uh, bring things and bottom line it in terms of somebody's energetic and how they show up in the world uh, how they show up in a relationship that that's where they move to the alpha beta and that's why i think the alpha ogre male the alpha ogre male is an important distinction However, it doesn't take away from the fact that under all those categories, they each have their own rays right. that may overlap with alpha, quote unquote, beta behaviors. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. And I think you should write a book in that. But uh, yeah, no, we've, we've definitely talked a lot about different topics. And I'm um, honored that you were uh, able to spend your time with us during that. Where can people find out more about you? Because as we've discovered today, you are very multifaceted. You can speak to a lot of things, and it all falls under several umbrellas, whether it's communicating, whether it's leadership. But the things that you are passionate about are things that are issues or areas of opportunity in today's world. And so I imagine people in the audience would have more questions. So where can they reach out to you? Okay, cool. So uh, first of all, you can always find me on LinkedIn, Dave Gerber, LinkedIn. Um, feel free to send me emails, uh, gerber at synergydt.com. Uh, I look forward to talking to people. I'm, I'm currently building a huge audience for a couple projects that are coming up. Uh, my websites are, you can go to DaveGerber.com. You know, you can go to Synergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y, D-T.com. Uh, and then, you know, I've got a bunch of really cool projects that are coming out that I'm loading up for September. You know, I'm launching Dave Gerber Media. Uh, and under Dave Gerber Media, I'll have an international in, – in September, we're launching an international radio show called Preparing for Robots, which is going to be really cool. And that's going to be talking to leaders uh, within different industries about sort of what they see in the future, how they see it's going to impact humans, uh, and and a little bit of a positive spin on things that are within those industries. I'm really excited. I have three podcasts that I'm getting ready to launch. One's called Pre-Marriage Questions. So a lot of the conflict stuff we're going to talk about with respect to relationships and compatibility and helping people in their marriages, whether they're struggling or they're divorced, separated, or uh, thinking about a relationship. Wow. Uh, and that'll be after my one of my books called Don't Learn the Hard Way. And then I've got another one called The Conflict Healer that's going to be coming out. It's going to focus on helping people at work uh, and with respect to their their conflicts at work. We've got another podcast called Preparing for Robots, which will be a follow-up from the radio show. And I'm thinking about starting one called the Dave Gerber Adventure, 
uh, and bringing all this stuff that we're talking about in a realistic format on YouTube so that people can get behind and talk and ask questions and get involved. And I really just want to help as many people as I can. And, and I really appreciate you very much uh, for having me on your show, sir. No, the pleasure's mine. The pleasure's mine. And we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. All this can be found. I'm sure you're going to, if, if they follow you on, on your, your website, it's all there, right? Uh, right now, the best way to see what's going on is through my uh, LinkedIn account. Um, yeah. We are in uh, heavy work mode. I'll be launching webinars on all different kinds of subjects for people on these subjects, character, integrity, you know, specific technical work with respect to project manager. You probably have leaders who are PMPs or want to get theirs. I'm going to be helping them out with a 24-7 site. So we're really launching and gearing up for a lot of stuff, and, and it would be great to have you actually uh, on my podcast as well too, Theo. Happy to happy to be happy to be there, uh, and I'll definitely make sure this is all uh, included. But this is this has been a great episode. I can't let you go though without asking this question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. That's the foundation for everything I do. So, how do you, Dave, use your difference to make a difference? I think that what I've decided is that I need to put away any doubts around bringing what I have to offer to the universe through webinars and podcasts and YouTube and, and let the people who believe and want to find a faster, better way to level up in their lives, they'll gravitate to it and we can, we can start a club, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's through your works and through what you already do today and you, you show up authentically and that's how, uh, you, you know how to use your difference to make a difference by telling your stories and sharing what you've learned. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Pleasure's mine. Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.